Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Chapter one, we're just continuing our series in the book of James. And today we will be studying verses 12 through 16. James chapter one, verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. The desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Let's pray. Lord God, we confess that our hearts are so frequently deceived by the lure of sin. Help us to not be deceived. Help us to hear truth and to love the truth, and to live the truth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you are aware of this, but I suffer from a condition called misophonia. Misophonia is a disorder in which certain sounds, typically eating, as it is for me, triggers emotional or psychological responses that some might perceive as unreasonable Given the circumstance, those who have misophonia might describe it as the sound that drives them crazy. I've had this misophonia since I was a teenager, and I still remember hearing my mom eat her food and it sending me bonkers, making me completely enraged, flying off the handle and just fury towards her and storming out of the room. It was very bad. Evidently, it continued into college because my roommate was the one who sent me the article and said, I think you have misophonia. My misophonia has continued all the way to today. Uh, just a few weeks ago, Jason Fulian, who just came on staff and is one of the nicest guys in the world, along with David Steinbarger and myself, met in my office for a meeting. And Jason brought into the meeting an apple. Jason didn't know what an apple represented to me, but Jason started to eat the apple while we were having the conversation. I was trying to ignore it to the best of my abilities, but I could not complete a sentence. It looked like to them that I was having a stroke. David started laughing because he knew exactly what was going on. And finally I said, Jason, 
I suffer from a condition <laughs> called misophonia. Can you please not eat the apple? I love you, but I cannot even focus and articulate a sentence. And Jason graciously complied with that request. Just the other day, David said, can I bring a taco into our meal? I'm like, of course you can't bring a taco into our conversation. But this is a trial that God has put into my life. It is not nearly as severe of a trial that many of you are going through or even trials that I am going through, but it is a trial that is in my life. And because of this trial, it raises temptations. It raises temptations towards unrighteous anger towards other people. This is the concept that James will be talking about today, that trials bring temptation with them. And temptation opens us up to the pursuit of sin. And so you'll see in your bulletin, there's a, there's a line at the top, and it pretty much summarizes the majority of the sermon, but it says this, God-ordained trials, God-ordained trials entice temptations which can birth sin. God-ordained trials entice temptations, which can birth sin. That is pretty much the whole sermon in a sentence, but uh, I will tempt you by continuing to preach the sermon, but don't get angry. But that, that, that's it. And so, so what you see is that when we go through trials, when we go through trials all the, con- all the time, it tempts us towards sin. Give you an example. Friday night, my wife is in Appleton with one of our children at a basketball tournament, and so dad has the other three kids. Well, dad has a coupon for Burger King, and so guess what we're doing for dinner? We are going to Burger King, and so we go through Burger King. You can get like four uh, Whopper meals for $18, and so we order it, and then um, I said, can I have buffalo sauce with it? Because we all like buffalo sauce. I said, sure, it will be a quarter per buffalo sauce pack, which I think is a ripoff, but I like buffalo sauce, and so do my kids, and so I'm like, okay, we'll take four packets of buffalo sauce. Well, we go through the drive-thru. Uh, we get our meal, we pull out of the drive-thru, and we check, and guess what? No buffalo sauce, right? It's happened to you, it's happened to me, it's a horrific trial, isn't it? And so I send my son in, he puts on his mask, he goes into the restaurant and to tell them, hey, we didn't get our buffalo sauce, and instead of giving him the buffalo sauce, they escort him out the door saying he's not allowed in there and say, you must go through the drive-thru. So he gets in and says, we have to go through the drive-thru, we look through the right, and guess what, a line of cars for the drive-thru. And so we're like, we're just done here, right? But here is a trial, it's a silly trial, I give you that, but it leads to a temptation to demonize one of the people made in the image of God. God ordained trials entice temptations which can birth sin. James is writing into a scenario where the Christians have gone through much more severe trials uh, than not having buffalo sauce. They have been uh, persecuted for their faith in Jerusalem. Christians have been beaten. Christians have been thrown in jail. Christians have even been put to death. And so these Christians have fled from Jerusalem and they are, out, they are, they are cast throughout the region. And so they have had to leave their home. They have to leave family. They have had to leave friends. They have had to leave uh, their businesses and their income. And so many of them are impoverished, as Ron talked about last week. And because of their impoverishment, they are tempted. They are tempted to covet the wealth of other Christians. 
They're tempted to forsake the faith so that they can go back to their own life. They're tempted to grow bitter towards God because of their circumstances. And so James tells them or reminds them that his ordained trials entice temptations which can birth sin. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to focus on that bridge between God-ordained trials and sin. And the bridge between those two is temptations. Now, temptation is simply defined as a desire to do something wrong or unwise. A picture that I found that I thought defines temptation very well. Uh, You can see here uh, in this picture, there is a gentleman. I don't know what this cartoon is. I know you probably know, but but on on the wall, there's a sign that says, do not push button, and there's a button. And then below says, temptation. Do you really want to spend the rest of your life wandering, right? That's that's temptation. And so my question for you is, what is your button? When, when, When you are stressed out, when life is not going the way you want it to, when there is a trial in your life, what is the button, what is the temptation that you want to push? What is that thing that you want to say, I, want, I don't want to know what my life would be if I did not push this button? What is that temptation? That's what we're going to focus on today is that temptation and the temptations that come along with every single trial. So the first thing we see here is the root of temptation. In other words, what is the source of the temptation that we go through? And first, James declares very clearly where the temptation does not come from. Look at verse 13 with me. James says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. As we said earlier, God ordains trials in our life, and he ordains those trials for good purposes of building us up in the faith, for producing steadfastness and wisdom in the faith. But with that being said, these trials always also stir up temptations, If you remember a few weeks ago, I I used the illustration of Karate Kid, right? You have Mr. Miyagi who puts these trials in Daniel's son's life. He tells him to paint the fence and to wash the cars. And he is building up muscle memory and trying to conform Daniel's son into the image of a karate champion. But those trials, those very same trials that he intended for good also produce a temptation to be bitter, to be angry, to lash out for Daniel. And he does those things. You see these trials produce temptations to sin. But that does not mean the temptation comes from God. God sends trial for good purposes, not to lure you into sin. But what we often think is that because God sent this trial into my life, he is also the one who sends the temptation. We see this even in the Garden of Eden. If you remember, God puts Adam and Eve in the garden and he places the forbidden fruit, which is a trial to help build them in their faith. But what happens? They give in to temptation. And then Adam has the audacity to say to the God of the universe, the woman who you gave me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. I don't know if you see this, but, but Adam is blame shifting his sin to Eve and ultimately blame shifting it to God. 
I'm curious if any of these thoughts sound familiar to you. Lord, I wouldn't be so weak in this area of sin if you did not make me this way. Lord, I would not be so angry if you gave me a more considerate spouse. Lord, I wouldn't be so rebellious if you gave me wiser parents. Lord, I wouldn't cut corners at work if you gave me a more understanding boss. Lord, I wouldn't yell in frustrated anger if you gave me more obedient children. Do any of those sound familiar? You see, these are all subtle ways that we blame God for the temptation that we are going through. But James makes it clear, temptation does not come from God. Verse 13 again, he says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. God is not evil. God is not tempted by evil, and God does not tempt others with evil. God is not against you. God is for you in your trials. And so if God does not tempt us, where does temptation come from? Verse 14 tells us temptation is from within. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. This word desire here is epithuomai, and it is a longing, uh, oftentimes, but not always, for something that is forbidden. Sometimes it's actually used in the New Testament to describe a longing that is good. For example, Jesus longed to eat the Passover meal with his disciples. It's the same word. Paul had a longing to be with the Corinthians. It's the same word used in that passage as well. And so this desire is not always a negative thing. In fact, sometimes it is a very positive thing. But when the desires are hindered by trials, it produces temptation. A temptation to, to, to get that desire at all costs, no matter what you have to do, no matter what shortcuts you have to take. Now, I want to be clear here that, that being tempted is not a sin. Jesus was tempted throughout his entire life, especially in the wilderness that we read about. So temptation is not a sin, but temptation doesn't come from God. Paul uses a fishing illustration here to help us understand it. In verse 14, he says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. To be lured is to be, to be tempted, a person or an animal to be tempted to, to get something, right, that they want, a, some sort of reward. You can see here a little cartoon that I spent all night uh, coloring for you. Um, but this is a picture of what Paul is talking about. This fish is going through a trial. The trial is called hunger. And the worm is the desire of this fish. And it's not a bad desire. In fact, it is a good desire to eat and to be satisfied. But here's the thing. As we go on in this passage, what we read is that when the fish swallows the worm, the fish also swallows the hook. The hook being sin. And that sin ultimately leading to death. And so let me translate this over to us. When a trial happens in our life, there is an unmet desire. You know, we may desire to be healthy, but we sprain an ankle. That's a trial because there is an unmet desire to be healthy. We may want to be financially comfortable, but we lose our job. And then we have a trial of being uh, financially uncomfortable. 
Trials happen when desires are not met. Many of those good desires. But the temptation does not come from God. The temptation comes from us. And so the root of the temptation is our desires. Some of them good, some of them bad, but all of them unmet in the moment, okay? Secondly, what is the result of conceived temptation? Um, Whenever we are tempted by sin, in that moment, we have a choice. Uh, We can either remain steadfast in the faith, as we'll read here in a little bit, or we can give in to the sin. We can swallow the worm, swallow the bait, swallow the hook. And Peter explains this with another metaphor, a metaphor of childbirth. Look in verse 15 with me. He says, then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And so when temptation arises, if we do not flee from the temptation and resist the temptation, if we give in to the temptation and swallow the sin, it produces death. Now I know sin is not popular to talk about today uh, because we don't want to offend anyone. We don't, wanna, we don't want anyone who is pursuing their desires to feel knocked down by us calling it sin. But it's so important that we call sin, sin, because sin has devastating effects. James tells us here that sin gives birth to death. This is both an incremental death in our life, but ultimately eternal death in hell. There's an incremental death in that when we sin, we become less human. When we sin, we become more distant from God. When we sin, we bring corruption into this world. And so sin always brings death incrementally in this world, but eternally in hell. And that's why in verse 16, James says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from Above. You see, sin is so deceptive. If it wasn't deceptive, we would not do it. <laughs> but sin is so deceptive in that it promises us the life that only God can give us. But it always brings death, which God does not want for us. Sin promises life that only God can give us, but it always brings death that God does not want for us. Back to the picture of the fish. Again, this fish has a trial called hunger, and this worm is a desire, which is a good desire, but the hook is sin. And so when the fish swallows the worm, it also swallows the hook, and it is pulled into death. Uh, Death for the fish, for me with lemon and butter, it brings life, but for the fish, it brings death, right? Whenever we swallow the bait that is wrapped around the hook of sin, it always, always leads to death. And so what is the root of temptation? It's not God. It is us. What is the result of conceived temptation, of swallowing the bait? It is sin which leads to death, both incrementally in this life, but also death eternally as well. Finally, we read of the robbery of the result of conceived temptation. In other words, what is the robbery of sin? When we decide to give in to temptation and to swallow the bait and the hook of sin, 
what does it rob us from? Well, already we say it robs us from, from life. It robs us from joy. Verse 12 hammers this home. Verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. In the midst of temptation, if we choose to sin, we are robbing ourselves of blessedness. Blessedness is simply happiness. When we choose sin, we rob ourselves of the happiness that God intends for us. Now, let's be honest, sin is pleasurable, right? If it was not pleasurable, none of us would sin. Sin is pleasurable for a moment, but it always robs us of the happiness that God intends for our lives. It always robs us of the happiness of being fully human as God created us to be. It always robs us of the happiness of sweet communion with God. Paul continues in verse 12 and says, When he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Ron mentioned this last week, but the crown mentioned here is not a golden crown, uh, which is inherited simply by birthright, but it is a laurel, a, a bunch of leaves in a circle, which you earn, right? And so again, a picture for you, for those who don't know, this is an example of what it would be. It was used in the Olympic Games. Paul uses this illustration elsewhere in the scripture, but is a laurel, something that has been earned through the trial and endurance of a race or a competition, and what Paul says here is if you withstand the trial of life, if you endure the trial of life, not that you will be perfect in your fight against sin, none of us are, but if you endure to the very end, you prove to yourself that you are a Christian. You prove to yourself that you are inheriting a crown of life that comes from God. Revelation 2 says it the same way. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. You know, we have already mentioned that Jesus himself endured many temptations. He endured the temptations in the wilderness where Satan tempted him after 40 days of not eating with, with bread to eat and other temptations as well. But maybe the greatest temptation of Jesus was at his greatest trial, which was the cross. Certainly, Jesus must have been tempted to call down 12 legions of angels to wipe out the Roman guard. Certainly, Jesus must have been tempted to defend himself against those who passed by and mocked him. Certainly, Jesus must have been tempted to come down off the cross to avoid the wrath of God. But Jesus knew what obedience meant in that moment. Jesus knew the scriptures. Jesus knew the prophecy saying that he must die on a tree. And so in the words of verse 12 of James 1, Jesus remained steadfast under trial and he has stood the test. But instead of receiving the crown of life, Jesus received a crown of death a crown of thorns, the crown that all of us deserve because all of us have failed in our fight against temptation. All of us have bitten the, the, the hook of sin and been sucked into death. And yet Jesus took that death upon himself at the cross. Even though, as Hebrews 4 says, that Jesus, who in every respect has been tempted as we are, was yet without sin. He took on the punishment for our sin 
the crown of thorns, the crown of death, that we could receive the prize of his perfection, the crown of life for all eternity. Let me end with this. Uh, as many of you know, uh, Hank Aaron, the home run king, recently died. And it's been fascinating watching the documentaries about his life. Um, if you've watched any of them, you know that he was approaching the, the, the home run record that Babe Ruth had set many years earlier. And as he approached that, that record, he received a lot of mail. Uh, not congratulating him and encouraging, but he received uh, racist death threats. Uh, calling him very nasty things, things that I can't even say from the pulpit. And, and you might think, okay, he received like 100 of these letters or 500 of these letters, right? That would be a lot. That would be discouraging if you received 500 emails that had death threats and things like that. He received somewhere around, the estimate that I wrote, read was 930,000 pieces of mail. At one point, he, he told a teammate in the game don't sit next to me in the dugout because I'm pretty sure I'm going to get shot. That's, that's, that's what he lived under when he was pursuing this home run record. But what was amazing about Hank Aaron, if you've ever seen him, you, you know this, is that he had an unexplainable joy in the midst of these horrific trials. Um, I, I listened to one famous African-American reporter put it this way, and I'm paraphrasing because I can't remember exactly what he said, but it stuck out to me. And he was, he was reflecting on the joy uh, that Hank Aaron had, even in the midst of, of all these nasty things that people were saying to him. And this is what the reporter says. He says, the one thing that amazed me most about Hank Aaron is that he was not bitter. I am bitter every day of my life because of the racism I have endured. But Hank was not bitter at all. It was unbelievable. And so here's the question. Both of these men went through the same trials. Hank, probably to a more severe degree, and yet Hank was not bitter. And the question is, why wasn't Hank bitter, but this other person is so bitter over the hatred that he has received this trial in his life? Well, Hank Aaron uh, said in Guidepost, 1973, he said, I needed to depend on someone who is bigger, stronger, and wiser than I. I don't do it on my own. God is my strength. He gave me a good body and some talent and the freedom to develop it. He helps me when things go wrong. He forgives me when I fall on my face. He lights my way. As you go forth and face a whole lot more trials, which always bring with it temptation, let me give you this one encouragement. Every trial is God-ordained and preciously critical because God knows that you can choose sin or you cannot choose sin when you are tempted. But one thing you cannot do when you go through a trial is be unchanged. Every trial will change you. It will either make you bitter or it will make you better, as we have said. Christian, when you are tempted in that moment, you have a choice to make. Remember what James 1 says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is not from sin. It is from above coming down from the father of lights. Let's pray.
Lord God, we thank you that you speak truth, that you remind us that the lure of temptation is a point of decision for us. Whether we are going to swallow the hook of sin that leads to death or swim away and enjoy the happiness of our relationship with you, Lord. God, we have failed many, many times. And I know we will fail more. And yet, Lord God, we thank you for the grace and forgiveness that we have in Christ. And we pray, Lord, that you would give us the endurance and the strength and the moment of temptation to be steadfast and to pursue life and reject death. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.